All right, as we think about what it means to sing about God's grace and the freedom that we have in Christ, we're going to have a chance to celebrate that together this morning in two very connected ways, uh, by hearing testimony of God's grace and the freedom that he provides in Christ, and then being able to look at that in God's word. And so what you can do is, at this point, if you would like to open to Galatians chapter 4, and hold your place for about 12 to 15 minutes. This is going to be a very extended sermon introduction, opening illustration. But we're going to be able to do that by celebrating God's work through the Hope is Alive organization. And so here in just a moment, one of these guys is going to come and share his testimony. So be praying for him as he shares about God's work in his life. And you're going to have a chance to see a video about Hope is Alive I'm going to come after that and share from God's word about this idea of freedom from the end of Galatians chapter 4. And then at the end of the service, after I pray a blessing over us and and we're dismissed, if you go out these back doors and turn to the right there in the lobby, the Hope is Alive guys are going to be over there and they've got information about their ministry. Just go by and encourage them. Just just speak God's hope and grace into their lives and ask them to tell you a little bit more about their story and they would love to do that. They want to be able to do that for you. So right now, Hayden, come on up man. Let me get the microphone for you. Hayden's going to share his story. And in fact, I found out this morning, Hayden, you have a connection with Emmaus. You actually grew up here, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, my name is Hayden Seekings. I am 26 years old. I grew up here in Moore, and uh, I actually grew up coming here all my life. Um, and uh, yeah, I gave my life to Christ here. And um, looking back on my life, I think, uh, you know, nothing, nothing out of my childhood really sticks out as like particularly bad. I always kind of had like a weird relationship with my father. Um, but that's not, that's not super abnormal. The only thing that really sticks out is uh, I remember, like, just always feeling uncomfortable, like, whether it was around people. And even though I grew up coming here, I always, like, I felt really uncomfortable talking about God, like, on a personal level, like, just, just one-on-one. Um, and even though I'd always come here, you know, I figured that it was just something that would get, that would eventually get better. Um, and I was, I was pretty normal, you know, for the most part, like at least in my observation. Um, I played sports and I did pretty well in school, but, uh, I went through all of that just with this massive uncomfortability my entire life. Um, and you know, my story, it's not, it's not anything particularly different than what you would hear from a lot of people after, you know, a few procedures, um, from sports and high school and some other things, I came into prescription painkillers. And uh, for the first time in a long time, like that uncomfortability that I was talking about just kind of went away. And it felt like all of a sudden I could talk to people and I didn't have to worry what anyone thought about me. I didn't have to worry about any of that. Nothing mattered. Um, and, you know, it, it felt like life was really vibrant for the first time. And, uh, I was I was pretty young when when that happened um and it it took a while for it took a while probably for that to for there to kind of be a toll from that um I barely graduated high school uh despite making good grades every year and every semester up to that point um 
And, uh, you know, I really had no plan for the future. A lot of times, that's, that's, the, that's the time to start to figure out, like, all right, what are some steps I need to take to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? And I had no plan whatsoever. Um, and very young, I, like, literally the first year out of high school, I caught several criminal charges um, for, you know, stuff related to drugs. And uh, I got myself in kind of a situation where I wound up having to do, like, a pretty short prison sentence. Um, and that's only significant because of how young I was and like, I'm not even adjusted to life and I got to do this, this really hard thing. Um, and at, at the end of it all, I think, so one of the, you know, you would, you would go to the chaplain there and you would see all these other people that were supposedly forming, you know, this relationship with God and all this other stuff. And uh, again, it just kind of kept coming up. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't a particularly long sentence, but uh you know it definitely it definitely had an impact on me, you know, when I got out, just in terms of like trying to get my life started again and everything, and um that uncomfortability kept coming up every time that I would try and try and get something going. And I like to say that like I lost some stuff, you know, in my addiction, but the thing is like I never really got anything going in the first place. So and that's just kind of a result of you know being an addict. Um and when I got out of prison, what I had tried to do was uh, just to get something going, and uh, nothing really went my way, um, you know, for whatever reason. And it, it, it happened pretty quickly that I got, within the year, I got back into painkillers, and I would have been 20 years old around this time. And when I got back into painkillers, again, just like the first time, life was really, really vibrant again for the first time in a long time. Um, and I'd love to say, that, like, prison, that would have been, like, the perfect rock bottom. Just the absolute perfect rock bottom, but it, it wasn't at all. Um, that all happened when I was 20, and I'm, I'm 26 years old now. Um, and uh, pretty quickly after I got back into painkillers, I got into heroin. And, um, you know, that whole thing where I said, like, life felt, you know, vibrant again, uh, that didn't really happen with that one. It just became this obsession where... I remember pretty early on with it, I was I was really okay with the fact that it's like I'm probably gonna die doing this, and that's that's okay. Um, and you know, my family put up put up with a lot from me. Um, you know, I stole a lot of stuff from a lot of people, and I've said some things I'm not proud of over the years. Um, and uh, you know, kind of. It just got really, really bad, really, really fast. Um, I wish there was like some sort of like concrete thing to say that like, well, this was, this was the moment because I never got in trouble again necessarily. But uh, you know, I remember one day just like it, it kind of clicked, like halfway clicked for a moment where I looked back on like just like this like string of bad days that I'd had, like getting my car impounded and all this other stuff. And looking back, I was like, you know, all of this was very avoidable um, and uh, someone I had been in contact with like months prior that was trying to get me into treatment someone from that treatment facility finally called me that day which they, they would check on me periodically but this was the one time that I was like everything I'm doing right now is it's avoidable and uh, I was like yes I would I would very much like to go to treatment um, and, uh, you know, once the day came, like, sure enough, I'm, hes I'm hesitant again. 
like like I always was. It's like I'm not ready to give this up. Like I still think I'm in control and I got this, you know. And uh, you know that treatment center was out in uh, California, in not like a particularly nice part of California, but California no less. Uh, the weather was nice, and uh, I got out there. And uh, I, I had been, like, in various forms of treatment before, off and on. And uh, really, I only have one thing that kind of clicked from that experience. And that was, uh, you know, I was reading through some recovery literature there. And uh, it spoke on, you know, building a relationship, like a personal relationship with God. And, you know, really all the other stuff, like, kind of didn't matter you know, that it, it really drove that point home. And for the first time, like, it finally clicked when I looked back on my entire life, despite coming to church, despite, you know, giving my life to Christ here, that I was like, I don't think I ever actually built a relationship with God. Um, and I think I finally saw, like, how people were doing it, and I finally saw, you know, why people were content and happy and why they were able to do all this stuff, and that's why I felt uncomfortable for all of those years, probably, is because, you know, there's this there's this father that everyone had a relationship with except for me, um, despite the fact that I believed, despite the fact that, you know, I was like, this thing is, it, it's helping people, and I never, I never took the time to just talk to him, really. And um, especially from that point forward, I was just, I was just sold. I was like, take my will and take my life. And you know, do what you want, because I'm not. I'm I'm making a mess of this, and I can't. I can't live this way anymore. Um, and I, I was halfway. I was halfway like I didn't even want to come back to Oklahoma, for the most part. But uh, looking at like the mess that I had made with my life and all of the issues I had had, and I definitely needed to right some wrongs for sure and do some work in my life, and I didn't see a way that I could do that out there. And so then came the question of, well, where, where do I go? Um, because going back to my mom's, like, even if she did allow that, that probably wouldn't work out too well for me. Um, I needed to do something different. And I thought back on a pamphlet someone had given me several years prior for a place called Hope is Alive. Um, I remember at the time I thought, like, because they had this pamphlet and everyone was, like, smiling and looking happy. And I was like, I don't think that's what getting sober looks like. I have a feeling it's, like, a really painful process. Uh, but you know, I was out of options, I was out of names, um, and just, just one thing led to another, and, uh, I tried to get hesitant again, because they were all about Jesus, and they were all about God, and talk, and just doing all this great stuff, and I was like, this is making me, like, super uncomfortable, but I think that's what kind of drove the point home, was like, I feel like this is something I'm, I'm supposed to do, um, and one thing that didn't click or that I didn't remember until yesterday, actually, like what today's date is. The first day that I woke up sober out in California and like got started on this whole path was September 13th, 2018. So that is two years ago today. Thank you. And, and getting there and getting to Hope is Alive and getting started with that, um, you know, just so much needed to be done. And especially looking back on the first year, like how much work needed to be done in my life, it was, it was so hard. Um, and I don't think I could have done it if I wasn't, you know, coming home to hope is alive every day. If it wasn't for all of these people doing all this work 
And just looking at these relationships that they had that, you know, I had just gotten started in having this relationship with God at the time. And I was like, I, I really want that. Like, I want to walk into a room and feel okay with talking to people and talking to people about this. Um, and it's just been, it's, it's really changed my life. Like, it, it absolutely has. Um, that now I'm one of those people that can smile and be on a pamphlet and come up and do stuff like this. And that's something I, ne I never thought I'd be able to do. Um, and it's crazy looking back, like three years ago when I got that pamphlet, like, you, you're going you're gonna to be doing that. Like, and you're going to be doing that for a long time. And uh, I say that to say that uh, I actually get to work for Hope is Alive now. Um, and I get to take other people through this journey and try and, you know, give back the help that was given to me. Because there were always people talking to me and encouraging me along the way. And I don't think I could have done it if I didn't have Hope is Alive to come back to. And looking back, you know, that's, that's the evidence I see of God working in my life, knowing the people I know that stayed in California, like, it just, it just didn't really work out for them. Um, and as much as that's what I wanted to do, everything worked out just perfectly here. Um, and despite the fact whether I'm in a situation that I want or don't want, like, I know where I'm right where I need to be and that I'm cared for and that I'm promised to be delivered through whatever I'm going through at that time. Thanks so much. Now, obviously, Hayden's is not the only story like that, and so Hope is Alive, they have a video they want you all to be able to see, and when you see Because of Hope is Alive on this video, they want you to know that they mean because of God's grace at work in their life and because of what God has done, and so watch this video, and then we're going to look in God's word about what Hayden shared with us right now. remember the final night when my husband and I separated and how drunk I was leaving and I actually ran my car up onto a curb that night and I was so drunk I didn't care. I didn't care that my entire marriage was over. I didn't care how bad I just hurt him. After that it just spiraled. Um, lost my job because I wasn't performing. I was drinking all day. That's when it got really bad. I went from drinking to pills and then I started using meth my family was like, you're done. Like, we're done with you. I was sleeping on the floor of a trap house. I would lay there and just be like, this is not my life, man. This is not my life. I really believed that I was created to screw up my life and die. I remember screaming at the top of my lungs in my car, God, if that's what I'm supposed to do, then do it. Let's do this. Get it over with. I want to go home. And, uh... I've never been in such despair. My father was a drug addict, and when he started going through his divorce, he um, started doing heavier drugs, and I was kind of like his party buddy. We used together. I didn't like the life that I was living, and I, I just, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know what to do. Because of HIA, I have a relationship with my mom that's incredible. I have 
found a calling that I never knew existed. Because of Hope is Alive, I have hope. My relationship with my family is restored. I've been given opportunities to have a career that I never thought that I would be able to have. When I came in the doors, I just remember being like, I was just loved. I was so unconditionally, supernaturally wrapped up in a love that I have never experienced in 40 years of my life. I have joy in my heart. I have a purpose. I have a calling. I have a whole new life. I have sisters now. Um, friendships that I never had in my addiction. I have people that will pray for me, that will love on me, and that are there no matter what. I have a place I belong. God said to me, he said, you are worthy of this life. You are worthy, and it changed me. It completely has turned me around, and I'm loved, and I'm accepted, and I genuinely belong somewhere, and it has changed me, and my relationships with my family, oh my it's incredible. I'm having lunch with my dad, my brother, my brother's family, and my two daughters this weekend. And like, it's only because, because of the war. So as we think about stories of hope and freedom and the way that God gives us that freedom through Christ to be set free from addiction, to be set free from our past, to be set free from these things, let me ask you a very, very hard question, but it's something we need to think about as we look at these verses this morning. What would it look like, and, and this is not hypothetical for a lot of people. In fact, a lot of these folks here would be able to tell stories about this. This is not hypothetical, but what would it look like to be set free from sin, addiction, prison, slavery, to be set free from that, and then to purposefully walk back into it? What would it look like to be set free and then to be enslaved again. Why would we do that? And I'm not, I'm not just talking about like I take a step forward and two steps back. That's how most of our lives work. Step forward, two back. I'm talking about returning to the place of sin and slavery. Galatians chapter 4. I want you to see what Paul does this morning in Scripture to help us think about freedom. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. As Paul is speaking to the Galatians, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. So he is talking about a time before these people trusted in Jesus for salvation. He is talking about their past life. Every one of us has a past life, a time before we encountered the grace of God through Jesus. So he says, formerly, 
when you did not know God, when you did not know God as Father, as Savior, as Rescuer, when, when you thought of God and you thought of everything negative as opposed to all of God's grace given into your life, when before that time that you knew who God truly was, you were enslaved to those things. Now, if you would have talked to the Galatians before they knew the grace of God, would they have described themselves as enslaved? No, probably not, because very few of us do, do we? We, we always think, man, I've got control of the situation. Like, I, I can do this. I'm not enslaved to this or this or this. But we realize, right, that every one of us serves something. No matter what you say about your control of your own life, every single person on the planet serves something or someone. Something is our master. And Jesus is very clear that you can't have two masters. <laughs> there is going to be something or someone that is going to drive your life. And Paul says, before you knew the grace of God given to you in Jesus, you were enslaved to what? To those things that by their very nature are not God's. The people had given themselves to something that could never satisfy, something that could never rescue, something that could never truly give life. They had given themselves over to things that were never meant to be God's. Now the question we have to start unraveling, and we're going to do that over the next couple of slides, is we have to begin to think about what are these things that we give ourselves to that we are enslaved to? I can give you two really quickly right here in this verse. In this area of the world, in the time that the Bible was written, one thing that the people gave themselves to was what was called the imperial cult. So remember, we were in a time of the emperor, the Roman Empire, and there was veneration and almost worship of the Roman Empire, of the government powers of the day. And so what do we often find ourselves enslaved to or giving ourselves over to? Power. We want power in the world. And guess what? People still give their lives to the hope of political power. Can I tell you that that still happens in 2020? That people are enslaved to the hope of political power. And they are giving themselves over to that as if it itself is God. The other thing that was happening at this time, what are these things that by nature are not God's? Well, it was what we would call worship of the flesh. And, and just to be straight up with you, it, it's things that still haunt us today like sexual sin, drugs, things that you would take into your body to give yourself a certain feeling or a certain type of, of worship of the created things. It's giving yourself over to something that is created, not the creator. And we often think about that as money, sex, gambling, those type of things that we live for those. They dominate our lives, the lust of those things and the desires that get put into our bodies and we, we just have to have it. What's that called? Well, it, we normally call it addiction, don't we? Um, and, and we think about that as someone who calls themselves an addict versus, let's be honest, a lot of us are addicted or drawn to things that are not of the Lord, that are of this world. And so these are the things that the people were enslaved to. Now look what happens in verse 9. In verse 9, Paul says, But now, so now, your, your life is different, but now that you have come to know God, to know God's grace in Christ, 
And then he very quickly almost corrects himself, but he's not correcting, he's just giving you a, a clearer perspective of what it is to know God. To know God is to be known by God. Man, what a cool part of the biblical story there. For us to know God is to be known by God. He knows your past. He knows your private moments. He knows your weaknesses. He knows all of those things, and yet he loves us. To be known by God. In Matthew chapter 7, we find the language to be known by God, to be equated with to be saved by God. To be known by God is to be loved, to be his, to be saved. Paul says, but now, so your life now is that you are known by God, you are loved, you are saved. How? Man, let the weight of that word in the middle of verse 9 sit on you a minute. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He is writing to a group of people who God has rescued out of this past of sin and slavery and has put this new life in front of them. And as they are walking forward in the way that God has for them, some of them are turning around and they are going back. They are going back from what they have been set free from. And the pain that we're going to see in Paul's writing here as he thinks about what it looks like to turn around and go back. And what are they going back to? He calls it weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. You're turning back from the creator to the created things. You're turning back to the ABCs. You've been set free to go forward and you're going back. Uh, now, some of you may wish you could go back to first grade and kindergarten, but it's good in life to keep moving on. Like we want to keep moving forward in the things that God has, and, and they're turning back at this point. But look very carefully in verse 10. What are they turning back to? You observe days and months and seasons and years. There are two sides to this. When you see this in verse 10 about days and months and seasons and years, there are two sides of it. One side of it is the pagan world in which the people lived, and so days and seasons are these festivals that would come around. The people of this time, they really believed strongly in lucky days and unlucky days. <laughs> some days were good and some days were bad. You followed what we might call the, the horoscope or astrology or something like that, but you did certain things on certain days because it would be, bring good things to you, and then there were other days on the calendar that were considered unlucky and you wanted to avoid things. Watch what Paul does. He takes this concept and he also ties it in with how the Jewish calendar was being used. Because what's happening in Galatians is these people that have been set free from paganism, from worshiping idols, these Jewish influencers are trying to bring them back under the law and say you have to be circumcised, you've got to follow these food laws, you can't eat with Gentiles, and you've got to follow this calendar in order to really experience the power of God. So look at this next slide for me, with me just for a second. What's going on here? This is a group of people who have been set free from sin and death by the power of Jesus. What enslaves every one of us? The reality of sin 
And Hebrews 2 says that people live under an enslavement that Hebrews 2 calls the fear of death. So what enslaves people? It's sin, living for the things of this world, and the reality of facing death that none of us can escape. But through Jesus, we've been set free from that because what happened in Christ? He defeated sin and death through the cross and the resurrection. We have been set free. So Paul says, please, don't return to live for the things of this world. Don't give your life over to attempts to gain worldly power, especially political power. Don't give your life over to living for the things of this world. What does it look like for the creator of all things to give you life eternally and then for us to turn around and give our lives to living for the things of this world? Do you feel the contrast? Do you feel the tension there between those two things? And don't, when you have been set free by the grace of God, don't spend your life living for man-made religious rules and traditions. We don't often think about religion as something we are set free from, but if we're careful with our language here, if you remember there's a story in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son, and in that story you have the older brother who is entrapped, enslaved by these religious traditions and these religious rules, and it is possible for someone to be set free by the grace of God through Jesus, why would you give yourself to man-made religion at that point as opposed to giving yourself to the things of God? Why return to something that was never able to give life or freedom in the first place? Why do we go back? There's a story in the Old Testament when God sets his people free from Egypt. We call it the Exodus, right? So the Exodus happens And the people are set free to go into the promised land that God has given them. Do you know what happens about two chapters later? Some of them are grumbling and they're ready to go back to Egypt. They are already turning around to go back the other way because they fail to see all that God has for them in the future. When we don't clearly understand the freedom that God has and when we don't have people around us to help continue to push us toward and remind us of that freedom, we find ourselves turning back to things that previously enslaved us. Now, here's what we have to do in the next few verses. What you see in the next few verses is you see Paul speaking to people who are tempted to do this. So I need you in the next few verses, and I say the next few verses, it's a lot of them, but the verses to come, I need you as you're listening for your heart to be looking at this from two different perspectives. One is How do you speak to people in your life that you see turning away from the Lord back to the things of the world? That's one thing. Like How how do you speak to people who are doing that? Here's the other side of it. Be very careful about our own lives. How in my own heart do I find myself turning back to live for the things of the world and, and not for the things of the Lord? So as we look at these verses, how can you help others But let's take a long look at our own life, okay, as we look here. Now, watch what happens in verse 11. Here's what Paul does. He says, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you. I may have worked with you in vain for no purpose. You're turning back from what we we put in front of you. Brothers, I beg you, I entreat you, I plead with you, become as I am 
for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Here's what I want to set up for us in these verses. As Paul is begging them, pleading with them, please don't turn back. God has all of this in front of you. Don't give your life to that again. As he is pleading with them, watch this, he makes a personal appeal to them based on the relationship they have before he preaches to them. When you are talking to someone who is tempted to give their life to the things of the world and turn away from the Lord, a relational connection before a sermon is often a good idea. If the first thing we do is begin to preach to people and to give them the Bible answers and the theology answers, which are all good, <laughs> hear me clearly, like we, we need to have those answers, Paul connects with the Galatians on a personal level. Before he says, this is what the Bible says, he says, remember, I love you. And remember the relationship that we have together. Remember how much I care for you. Verse 13, he says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment. So something going on in Paul's life, it was because of a bodily ailment that I was even able to preach the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus coming to you. So when Paul is speaking to the Galatians, he says, hey, remember, I wasn't in very good condition when I first came to you. There was nothing impressive about me when I came to you, Galatians, that should have caused you to receive me. And it seems like, as we read more of Paul's letters, Paul's opponents use this against him. Paul's opponents would say, man, you don't want to listen to that guy that dude is weak. Like, he's got all kinds of problems. He's got health problems and relational problems, and you, you don't want to listen to Paul. He's got all of this weakness. And Paul says to the Galatians, hey, when we first connected, we connected because I was so weak. Uh, scholars, as they try to untangle what's Paul meaning here, probably, so hear me clearly, probably, we don't know this for sure, Probably the weakness that Paul is talking about comes from the ways that he was persecuted. So he was, he was bodily persecuted. He was harmed in certain ways, and that affected his body. Also, there's a good chance that Paul suffered from some sort of eye disease, something wrong with his eyes. At the end of certain letters, he talks about how he wrote his name in really big letters when he would sign things. It, there's certain signs in Scripture that he had a problem with his eyes. We don't know exactly what that was, but when Paul connected with them, they connected over their weaknesses. Guess what? People respect our strengths, but they connect with our weaknesses. People respect our strengths, but they connect with our weaknesses. And when you see someone whose life is turning away from the Lord, you can in that moment try to look like you have it all together so that they will be drawn to you. But you know what? When you see someone's life turning away from the Lord, sometimes the best thing is just to help them remember how much you need the Lord and how you're able to connect with them because of some weakness that you might be facing in your own life. That's exactly what Paul does right here. Verse 15. Verse 15, Paul says, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. There's another indication that maybe Paul had something wrong with his eyes. He said, you, you love me so much, you would have just given me your eyes if you could. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy 
by telling you the truth. Think about this scenario. Friend, family member, someone you care for, you see their life going in a direction that is not good. We can see where that path is going. It's not good. You speak the truth to them in love in that situation where they're turning away from the Lord. Are they going to say, man, thank you for that. Like, like thanks, thanks for intervening in my life and speaking the truth to me. Not, not usually. Some, sometimes, often, when you're the one speaking the hard truth to someone that you love, you're made out to be the enemy in that situation. Paul says, I am trying to let you know where this path goes, and you don't want to go that way. God has given you so many good things in Christ. Don't turn from him. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Proverbs 27, 6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The person who doesn't care about where your life goes, man, they'll tell you whatever you need to hear. They'll flatter you. They'll say whatever you need to hear. The person who loves you sometimes has to say things that are very difficult. And so let's remember this personally. You have someone speaking into your life our first response is usually to get defensive, right? <laughs> you don't know my life. You don't, you don't know what I'm... Man, the moment we hear ourselves being defensive, that should be a yellow flag to pay attention. Is there something that this person is saying that I need to hear in this situation? Is there a chance my life is going this way? When you're, when you're turning away from the Lord, when you're living for the things of the world, one of the hardest things to hear is a loving, caring truth from someone close to you. Man, it's hard to hear that. But it's exactly what we need. Verse 17, Paul says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. The person who is leading you away from the Lord claims to be working for your good, but, but really they're not. They, they say, oh man, I'm, I'm in your corner. And then when you get in a hard spot, often they're the last person to show up. That it was really about something to do with them. And, and they claim to be giving you freedom, but it's just leading you back into slavery. Verse 18, Paul says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. So it's good to have people who, who want to speak into your life, but, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Paul says, those folks are acting like your friend, but they're taking you away from the Lord. I love you like a mother loves her own child. The pain of childbirth that leads to the gift of motherhood, to desire to see that child grow in the Lord. Paul says, that's how I care about you. I want to see Christ formed in you and that depth of love and pain that, that a mother would experience at that point of birth, that is how I feel about you. I want to see you grow. I don't care what you can do for me. I want to see Christ formed in you. So Paul makes this personal appeal. And there may be times that you have to do the same thing for someone. That the greatest thing you can do is not turn and look the other way, but it's how, God, do I speak the truth in love? How do I connect relationally with this person that I see turning away from you? And that we would be willing to hear that as well, not just giving that out, but we would want people to speak into our lives. Now, verse 21, 
he's going to start making his theological appeal. He's going to tell a story out of the Old Testament. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So if you claim to want to be under the law, then let's at least pay attention to what it says. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now, if you want to go back and read the background to this, you're going to find it in Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 21. If you don't have planned this week any place to read in the Bible, go back and read these passages so you can catch the background. This week would be a great time to go back and check some of those Genesis chapters that form the background of what Paul is doing here. But he's going to lay out this, this uh, two different sides, this allegory, this story with two different sides to it. Verse 23 the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now these are going to be given allegorically, which means they're representative. They're telling a, a story, making a point based on the two covenants. So you have the son, Ishmael, who was born to Abraham's slave, Hagar, and it was a plan that they put in place because they didn't see any way that God was actually going to provide Sarah with, with the child. And so it was put in place according to a plan of man, according to the plan of the flesh. While the son Isaac was born of the free woman, Sarah, and he was given through a promise. Now watch how Paul lays this out. He says down there in verse 25. Now one is from, I guess this is middle of 24, sorry, middle of 24. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. You cannot imagine how angry this would have made the people from Jerusalem. <laughs> the people that are drawing the Galatians back into circumcision, back into food laws, trying to have them live according to the Jewish uh, law, if they had something to throw at Paul, I'm sure they did. I, I just can't imagine how angry this would have made them. Because what Paul is doing is he is making a connection between the present Jerusalem, the Jewish law, people living under those things, and this idea of slavery, even connecting back to Hagar, back to Ishmael. Oh man, that would have made the people unbelievably angry. But the Jerusalem above, Paul says, what God is doing eternally in the heavens, the Jerusalem above is free. And she, speaking of Sarah, speaking of Mount Zion, speaking of heaven, she is our mother. But the is written in verse 27, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, so Ishmael, just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. So Paul says these people coming from Jerusalem, they're persecuting you because it mirrors the story that's coming out of the book of Genesis. What does the Scripture say in verse 30? 
The scripture says, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul is making a distinction between those who live according to the law and those who live under the freedom given by the Spirit through Jesus. He makes this contrast. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Look at this verse. This is our last verse for this morning. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is God's goal and purpose and plan for his people? Freedom. This is your moment in your head to do your best personal brave heart impression, okay? So uh, in your head, Mel Gibson, William Wallace, Braveheart, this is the chance to cry freedom. This is the promise that God has given his people through Jesus. You have been set free from sin and death for the freedom that's laid out before you. What's that freedom look like? Well, here's where I give the bad preacher answer. And, and I'm sorry, not sorry about this, okay? What's that freedom look like? It looks like the rest of the book of Galatians. It's why Paul gives us Galatians 5 and 6 to show us what freedom in Christ looks like. So you want to know what that looks like? This is where I say the really bad thing. Watch next week. Come back next week. Come back the week after that and the month after that and the month after We're going to keep even in the early 2021, playing out this question, what does freedom in Christ look like? Because I think, I think that if we don't know what that looks like, that freedom in Christ, we'll be quickly tempted to run back to what we saw before, to what enslaved us before. I want to know what that looks like. Show me what that looks like. Let me show you one final slide as we kind of think about how do we take this home? What do we do next? Number one, do you know what it is to have freedom from sin and death through Jesus? Do you know what it is to be set free from the power of sin and the fear of death because of faith in Jesus? Not because of getting your own life together, not because of what any other person believes or says, but because you know what that freedom is like. You've been enslaved. You could tell stories just like these guys could tell stories. You know what it is to live in slavery. And you're like, I'm never going back to that again. I have been set free through Jesus. Thank God for that. Refuse, refuse, refuse to live for political power, for the things of this world, for religious man-made rules and traditions. That refusal can I just tell you, you're not going to be able to do that on your own. Man, that is the gift of the church. That is the gift of friends. That is the gift of brothers and sisters who speak the truth and love to us, who say, whoa, tell me, don't go back there. Don't go that way. You, you know where that goes. Don't go that way. This is the way that God has given you. This is the way of freedom. Go that way. We have been set free from sin in order to have freedom to live out the life that God has given us. Freedom from always means freedom to. Man, never forget that. Freedom from, you are set free because of what God has for your future. Because of what God has for his people. We have freedom from in order to have freedom to. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what God has laid out for his people. This week, you may have to have hard conversations with people that you love 
who you see their lives turning back to slavery when God has freedom for them in their future. This week, somebody might have to have a hard conversation with us because they see our lives turning back to the things of the world as opposed to living for the things of God. But can I tell you, never lose sight of the good news of the freedom that we have in Christ. Never lose sight of that. I want to pray that blessing over you. After I do, we're going to be dismissed. And these guys get special permission that nobody else does, that while I'm praying, they're allowed to walk out, but you're not. (laughs) While I'm praying, they're going to walk out and go back to the uh, Hope is Alive table so that you have a chance to go and talk to them. Let me pray over us as as we wrap up. Father, thank you for what we've sang together this morning. God, those incredible songs, hearing about the mission opportunities that you give us, being able to hear testimony of the freedom that you provide through relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And God, this, uh, this warning for Scripture, but, but not just a warning, also a promise <laughs> that what you have for our lives is freedom. And when we give our lives to the things of this world, when we worship political power, when we worship the flesh, when we worship religion versus relationship with you, God, all of those things that enslave us, we miss the life that you have for us. And God, I'm so excited about the next few months of what it will look like for you through your word to show us what freedom looks like, what freedom in Christ is all about. So God, lead our church in that. Help us to speak the truth in love. God, help us to value feedback in our own lives. God, that that me above anyone else, God, that we would desire people to speak into our lives about the things of your word. And God, we leave today thinking about freedom, thinking about what you've provided through Jesus, and so thankful for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.